bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacy. Living Word with Pastor Mensah Otterton. And now, today's word. Worship is yielding to God. We sing, we dance, we raise hands when we worship. Ultimately, worship is not about just lifting up your hands and singing and dancing. Worshiping is about yielding to God. When we worship, we bow to Him. We surrender to Him. And that is why you cannot go into a place of worship and come back seeing your own importance. When we truly worship God, we surrender all we have to Him. We yield everything to him. You cannot be in the presence of God and worship him and leave angry, upset. Because if you truly worship him, you would have surrendered everything to him. And that's what Peter is doing here. He recognizes who Jesus is and he pays homage to the Lord Jesus Christ. He worships him. He yields to him. He made Jesus the center of his life. No longer fish and business. But Jesus is the center of Peter's life. The third thing we see, shockingly, is remorse. He became aware of his sinfulness. He said, I am a sinful man. I'm not worthy, Lord. It's amazing. And he says something very interesting. He says to the Lord Jesus Christ, get away from me. Move away from me. I am not worthy. Basically, I mean, Peter was not literally sacking Jesus. Where, where should he go? There in the boat, there in the sea. He should leave the boat and go where? That phrase simply means, Lord, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. A miracle makes him see Jesus for who he is, makes him bow before Jesus and reverence him. And now he feels unworthy. Because really when you encounter God, when you have a real encounter with God, that's how you feel. When you have a real encounter with God, you don't come feeling, I'm the greatest of all. When you have an encounter with God, you come about always feeling, I am nothing. But for the grace of God, but for the mercy of God, for the kindness of the Lord, I wouldn't be where I am. We have to learn that so that we don't see the work of God in our lives as making us worthy and great and awesome people. But when we encounter God, we should come out feeling, oh, wow, see what the Lord has done. I didn't deserve it, and he's done it for me. And Peter said, Lord, get away from me. I'm not worthy. I'm not holy. And Peter is not the only one who has had such an experience. Isaiah had such an experience in Isaiah chapter 6 from verse 14. To five, if you know the story, Isaiah had a vision of the Lord Jesus, of Lord God Almighty, and, and he saw the glory of God and the angels shouting, holy and holy. And Isaiah comes out and, and the passage says, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried up, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you have this reverence for God, God has done something for you. It doesn't puff you up. It humbles you. The works of God 
humble us. Simon has seen Jesus work miracles. His own mother-in-law has been healed by Jesus. But when he saw all of that, something fell on him. You know, when, when he started his journey with Jesus, in verse 5 of Luke chapter 5, he called Jesus Master. But at this point, he calls him more than Master. He calls him Lord. When he called him Master, he trusted him to take care of his business. But we, when he called him Lord, he meant everything I have belongs to you. You know, it's one thing believing God for a miracle. And we do that. Many of us, we believe in God for a breakthrough. We go for prayer meetings and we go for meetings. And, and we, we, people use terms of we are bombarding heaven. And, and we do all kinds of things. And a miracle comes. And then after the miracle comes, we're so excited about it. We forgot the one we're talking to to give us a miracle. How many times do people experience the hand of God and still think of him after the miracle has been done. Most of the time, we get a miracle, we rush away from the presence of God, go on our merry way, live our own life, and then later when we're in trouble, we come back seeking God. But that's not what Peter is doing. He says, Lord, you are holy, you are worthy, I'm not even fit to be in your presence. And how did Jesus respond to Peter? He says to him, do not be afraid. I've always wondered, why did Jesus say to Peter, do not be afraid? Why did he tell them? You know, uh, when you read the Bible, you'll find that many times when people either came into the presence of God or an angel appeared to Peter or, or to somebody, the angel tells them, fear not or do not be afraid. Because the general notion then was, if you meet God or you seek God or you see him in any form, you are dead. So, if you have an encounter with God, you're going to die. So, Peter now believes he's had an encounter with God. He's scared. That's why he says, Lord, move away from me, move away. He thinks, I'm going to die. And Jesus says, fear not. Everybody say, fear not. Say it one more time, say, fear not. And the reason why he said, do not be afraid, was because he wanted Peter to know he would not die. Do not be afraid. And the lesson we learn there is that God's holiness does not keep him away from us. God's holiness does not keep him away from us. To be holy means to be separate, to be apart. And when we say that God is holy, it means that God is separate. But the fact that God is separate from us or he's unique and there is nothing beside him and there is nothing like him does not mean that he doesn't want us. As a matter of fact, God's holiness draws him to us. God's holiness draws him to us. That's why Jesus Christ came to die for us. And by the way, do you think that it was only when Peter recognized who Jesus was that Jesus also knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was all along. He knew he was holy. He knew he was the son of God. He knew he could do the miracles. He knew all of that. And yet what did he do? He went to Peter. Asked for his boat. Sat in his boat. Gave him instructions. All this time, Jesus knew he was holy. And what does that teach us? God's holiness will not separate him from you. 
And that's why it's, it's sad sometimes when a Christian sins, they feel, oh, I've sinned so terribly, I'm not going to go to church again. Well, when you sin, that's where you run to God. Because God's holiness does not suck us. God's holiness embraces us. He knows who we are. He knows our weaknesses. And he wants to help us to overcome those weaknesses. And God's holiness draws us to himself. Doesn't separate us from God. The final thing we're going to look at is what happens to Peter. He becomes a new person. There is a new Peter now. When he encountered Jesus Christ first, he's disappointed. He's a disappointed fisherman. Trolled all night long, caught nothing. But now there's a new Peter. The Peter, obviously, although he's a, he's a fisherman, he's also a very religious man. Most Jews in those days were very religious. And, and he was religious. But not only that, he was actually seeking for the fulfillment of God's will for Israel. So he started by following John the Baptist. Interestingly, when he followed John the Baptist, he didn't leave everything to follow John the Baptist. He followed John the Baptist, he was still a fisherman. But followed John the Baptist because John was seen to be this great prophet and some people thought he was going to be the Messiah. But John kept telling his disciples, I'm not the Messiah. Peter was there, Andrew was there. And one day he points to Jesus and says, that's, that's the Messiah. So Peter starts following Jesus. He's following him around, watching him, trying to check him out. Is he really the guy? Is he the true prophet? Is he the Messiah? But now he's encountered Jesus in a very personal way. His mother-in-law has been healed by Jesus. Now he has caught a lot of fish. Now Jesus is in his boat. And he has this divine encounter with Jesus. And it transforms him. He becomes a new man. And there are three ways of newness that we see in the life of Peter. The first thing we see is that he has a new purpose. His mission in life is redefined. Up until this time, fishing was all that mattered to Peter. He lived by the lake. He spent almost all his life on water. Most likely, his father was a fisherman. We know that he's a fisherman. And his brother is a fisherman. It's a fishing family. If you ask Peter, what are you going to be? The only thing he can say is fisherman. Because, you know, in those days, you didn't change your profession much. If your father is a fisherman, you become a fisherman. Your child become a fisherman. And that's how it goes. It's not like these days that you don't follow your father's job. But those days, your father is a carpenter, you be a carpenter. Your son is a carpenter. If your father a shepherd, you be a shepherd. And so on and so forth. That, that's how it went. You, people didn't change professions much. You stayed within the family enterprise or the family profession. Fish was their business. So if you ask Peter, what's your life about? You say fish. He can talk about fish. He knows all kinds of fish. He knows what catches fish when, when you catch fish, when you don't catch fish. If you, he can give you a whole lecture on fish. That's all his life was about. But Jesus encountered Peter and he changed him. He changed his ministry. Jesus says, from now on, you will catch men. Other passages in the gospel says, I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus took Peter's mission to a new level. His passion for fish is now redefined. You know, many of us have passions in life. For Peter, it was fish. 
For some of you, it may be reading or writing or mathematics, accounting. For some people, it's fashion. For some people, it's cooking. Some people have a passion for football. I get amazed at how much passion people have for football. I get amazed. And the intelligence with which they talk about football, British football. They live in Ghana, but they know every player in the English Premier League. They know every player in the Spanish League. They know every player in the German League. They know, I mean, they sit in Ghana, they've never traveled anywhere before, but they're so passionate. They debate who is the GOAT? Is it Ronaldo? Is it Messi? And their whole heart is in it. And some will actually get very, very, very disturbed if they had steam in London or England loses. They know how much every player costs. They know his play. They know how many assists, how many goals. Passion. You are like Peter. But Jesus says, I want to take that passion and use it somewhere else. Have you considered maybe Jesus wants to take that passion you have for whatever passion you have. And he says, I want to use it for my glory, for my kingdom. So from now on, you're going to apply the same diligence to do my work. He didn't say, Peter, don't fish again. No fishing, you're going to be a carpenter. He didn't say you'll be a carpenter of men, cooker of men, shepherd of men, a fisher of men. He took the passion and redefined it. May the Lord take your passion, your drive, your energy, and use it tremendously for his kingdom and for his glory. May the thing that beats in your heart now beat for the kingdom of God. May there be a drive in your heart for the things of God. Peter has a new purpose. Not only does he have a new purpose, he has new priorities. He gave up everything. He gave up what he had treasured. He gave up the fish. A few hours ago, his life was fish. Now he leaves fish behind. The most fish he has ever caught. He turns away from it. Peter is saying, fish is no longer number one in my life. I've given everything to fish. Now I'm going to give it to Jesus. And I'm not by this saying, go and stop your job. Not everybody is called to be like Peter. But each one of us, at a certain point, will have to turn from just making our lives a pursuit of worldly things to a pursuit of God's kingdom. God's priority. All right, go ahead and be the accountant and go ahead and be the doctor and go ahead and be the engineer and go ahead and be the fashion person and go ahead and be a model and go ahead and be a sportsman. But can you imagine what it will be if you say, I'm using all of this for the glory of God. Peter turned from what he treasured the most. And made Jesus Christ the priority of his life. I just want to suggest to you that if you're a Christian and you have passion for something and something else is number one in your life, you cannot know your Lord so well. Much as you are pursuing so many things in life, the number one thing in your heart must be Jesus. The one number one in my heart must be Jesus. Not ICGC, not this church. It must be Jesus. 
And the final thing we see about Peter is that he has a new pursuit. He followed Jesus and his mission. A new purpose, new priority, new pursuit. Something is following. And I like how the passage ends. It says, they brought the boat, the boats full of fish to the shore. They didn't count how many fish we caught. They didn't even check up how much would this fetch us in the market. They just saw all that God has done. They dumped the fish at the shore. Something that was the greatest yearning of his heart. He left it at the shore. They didn't count it. They didn't take part of it. They didn't sell it. Turn his back. And follow Jesus. There comes a time when we must lay everything at the feet of Jesus. Your accolades, your great rewards, your great achievements, my great achievements. And lay it at the feet of Jesus. And that is what this whole story is about. To bring Peter to the point of total surrender of everything. So what's the lesson we learn in this year of gathering and we're launching out and we're doing all the great things that we will do. And I know God will do great things for you. But remember, after all has been achieved, you don't keep them. You come to Jesus and you say, you enabled me to catch the fish. I caught this because you were in my boat. Without you, I could not have done this. So to you belongs all the glory and all the praise, and all the adoration, and all the accolades, everything is yours. At the end of the day, that's what we do. Not, Lord, see what I have done. Do you know God is not impressed with your success? Your father may be impressed, your mother may be impressed, you may be impressed, but God is not impressed. The only thing that impresses God is that which we sacrifice for him. And if you can really achieve success and give him the praise for it, that is the real thing that God wants. And he's not going to take the fish from you. He's not going to take your money from you. He's not going to take your business from you. But he wants you to always make him the priority. And this year, as we go gathering, launching out, and, and catching fish, as our boats are overloaded with benefits, May the Lord help us to keep our focus right. That when all has been achieved, all the glory, all the honor, all the adoration, everything belongs to Jesus. He it is and he who is who made us who we are. Father, this morning, we learn that after everything is done, we lay it at your feet. Help us, Lord, to always remember that. And never take your blessings as the end in itself. Never take what you give us as the end in itself. But Lord, help us that whatever you give to us and the great blessings that you give to us will always end up at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Living Word. 
to interact with Pastor Mensah Otebi, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensah Otebi. Email otebi at centralgospel.com or call plus 233 302 688 000.